Welcome to the No Shortcuts Podcast. I'm Edgel Groves. Okay, my episode today is more of a PSA. My guest is Michael Polchinski from SoundCloud. As some of you may know, a few weeks ago, SoundCloud announced a little thing called FPR, fan-powered royalties, or you might know it as user-centric royalties. Uh, the person behind this and really built it from ground up is a guy named Michael Polchinski. And, you know, once the announcement came out, there was a lot of press floating around, some factual, some misnomers. And I thought, who better than Mike to come on and explain really how it works uh, from top to bottom, answer all your questions, and really just get down to the bottom of it. And uh, I think it's a very, very important shift in the music industry. And I think it's putting the the, the right foot forward in terms of how artist payouts uh, could look in the future and will start to look very, you know, very shortly. Anyway, without any further ado. Michael Plachinski. All right, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Edge. Glad to be here, man. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Where are you uh, located at the moment? I am lo- located in sunny New Jersey, just outside of Manhattan. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, aren't you guys getting like one of the uh, first nice days of the year. I think a couple of weeks ago you had something and now it's nice again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is literally <laughs> one of those days that I'm really eager to get outside, but also probably more so eager to talk to you about this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say no, nothing more exciting than starting off uh, with the weather. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, well, super cool. Well, look, I think the reason we're doing this today is really to get some education and some deep dive and insight into fan powered royalties, which you had an extremely heavy hand in. Um, a lot of people have a lot of questions. I've been getting hit up, you know, hit up on DMs and LinkedIn and email. People just having a lot of um, uh, particular questions, but in general, I, I think really around how it works. So um, definitely want to get into that, let you sort of explain the nuts and bolts of it and the details mm-hmm. and uh, educate everybody. But before that, um, it'd be great to sort of hear a little bit about your background and your story and how you ended up at SoundCloud and and in the music business in general. Sure. Yeah, actually, great. Um, and thanks again, man, for putting this together, because I think there's so many questions around this. I think just diving deep and enough to explain it, I think is worth, worthwhile for most. Um, in terms of my background, I I come from a family of musicians. My my family emigrated here, two musicians that tried to, you know, tried to do it here in the States. So it kind of started there and I had a whole household of music and I tried to rebel against it saying I'm not into music. And then obviously I couldn't fight that for many, many years. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but on the business side, I, I ended up starting and working and making my way around the majors. I worked at Atlantic records. I eventually, before coming to SoundCloud, I was at Warner proper and overseeing essentially the, like the rights and royalty side of it and the licensing that feeds it. Um, so from there jumped ship, and I really was keen to get to the streaming tech side. Oh. And this is where yourself and myself had ended up. Um, and actually part of me coming on board to SoundCloud, which is roughly three years ago, the biggest questions that I had actually started to inform the beginning of architecting fan-powered royalties. Oh. It, and that was where essentially what is SoundCloud? What are the licensing structures? And then kind of seeing the potential of doing something like this directly with artists came from, from those initial questions, actually. Right. Right. Well, before we dive into that, um, you know, just around, how did you even end up at the majors and were you in school before that? Do you have a degree in in some of these things? And you know, how did that uh, even get to that point? I actually went to school and majored in economics, which again was a magic happenstance for what we're about to talk about too. Right. This, model is heavily economic driven and I, I always wanted to get into the music business side um, and I ended up my first job was in new media business development which was the department pre digital music streaming ecosystem like at the at the beginning of essentially when just about ringtones were about to come out and the whole thing was about piracy and, and, and that whole Napster um, debacle so it was at that time that I started my career on the business side which was really exciting the two people I worked for actually end up between Michael Nash was one of my mentors at the time and George White. And from there I ended up just sticking with Warner for the most part um, and working with them and just navigating the industry through that side of the business. But yeah, I mean, I basically took that economics 
degree through as much of licensing royalties and rights into my career and the real incredible kind of happenstance and happy happenstance was being here at SoundCloud and kind of literally marrying all those pieces to, to essentially come up with this thing called fan powered royalties. Right. Right. So that all makes sense. So just as I guess from a context standpoint for people listening, um, you know, you came into SoundCloud to do a particular thing, but as you started to understand what our deals looked like and how we were working with other rights holders and how we were working with the DSPs, um, you started to sort of uncover that there might be an opportunity to reframe things and take a look at how we're doing things in the industry. So what, what, what was that like or how did that kind of come to be? Um, so, yeah, literally I came on board to, to head and manage the royalties and reporting side of it for SoundCloud and globally. And um, it was a very small, nimble team with our engineering team out in Berlin. And that's a really great question because what ends up happening, and I think in the industry now everyone's slowly realizing that those that understand the commercial obligations and needs are those that understand finding the commercial opportunities. Mm. And that's the really interesting thing that I think for those that maybe are listening that, that live in these kind of areas and sectors of the industry you now are becoming focal because you come with that expertise and you know this area or those that have also worked with those in this area and actually becoming more knowledgeable of this. So that's one thing I'd, I'd love to just kind of call out that mm. knowing the depths of those commercial obligations informs the opportunities and be able to see them clearly, um, let alone navigate them. Right. And yeah. that, that was really interesting actually um, with John Atzberger on the team and others, uh, we essentially identified the ability to do this. And the key thing, and also from from Repost and, and the relationships and programs that we have, is the ability to have these direct relationships with artists as a major DSP. And Which before, puts, us, yeah, puts us in a, a unique position, correct? I mean, we because yeah. we happen to have these commercial obligations, but we also happen to be a platform and a distributor via Repost. There's all these things speaking to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And therefore, those deals sort of had to navigate uh, those different rights. So, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. Yeah, and it's almost like if you, if you think about it, every DSP has whatever they licenses they have with all the major rights holders, aggregators, and everybody in the entire ecosystem. But at the same time, because we, like the few other platforms, remain open, and because we're an open platform, we also have very different licenses. And, and that's the thing that's really interesting is that we were able to keep these direct relationships. We were able to grow these direct relationships with artists and, and these licenses. And here we are, right, with the Repost team, with the larger SoundCloud family. We're in this position to say that there is nearly 100,000 artists that directly make money off of a major DSP. There's no need for an aggregator. There's no need for any kind of middle yeah. entity. It's literally through a program, through Repost. There is the ability to do this. And that was the first question to, to answer before even looking at the economics of fan-powered royalties and how we could actually build it, that we could benefit these direct creators and artists and at the same time preserve the business of all others and their priorities and licenses mm-hmm. we have in place. That was the second question. <laughs> right, right. Well, actually, so in layman's terms, can you explain what open source platform means in comparison to Spotify, right? So if you're thinking about a Spotify, it seems open platform because you can have the free version or you can have the subscription version where you have access to everything without commercials or advertising. Um, yeah. But how do we actually differ uh, as a platform comparatively uh, so people understand? Great question. And the big thing is almost a simple and stating it is a saying that anybody can show up to SoundCloud and without any relationship other than showing up to the website, opening the website and creating an account and you have the ability to upload anything and everything that you yourself make, um, any of your music or audio, you can upload it right off the bat. There is no middle entity and like the other platforms you just named, you have to go through some kind of third party service in order to put your content up there, your music or your podcast, whatever it is. Right. Like a CD baby or a tune core or, a, you know, the distro kids, so just so people have reference to what you're talking about there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks Edge. And, and it's, it's really, that's the huge thing that before even diving into the differentiation between SoundCloud and other platforms, you literally can show up and just create your place on the platform. There is, 
that's what the platform is for. And that's the open aspect and what most people call UGC or user-generated content. Like there is, it's open in that sense that anyone can show up and utilize the platform. Um, and yeah, sorry, you're going to say something. Oh, no, I was going to say, well, what, what about that part of it makes our rights unique to our deals with the other rights holders? Or how much can you speak to that, I, I should say? Yeah, so what that does is it basically creates an avenue that we have to, one, make sure that all the legitimate content on the platform is legitimate and all the user-generated content is legitimate user-generated content. So through all the, the, the identifying, you know, content identification process, that's all becoming, you know, that was years back that that, that whole initiative happened. And then part of the licenses, it created an avenue that then economics had to kind of meet that in the sense that we had to be able to account for that. We had to be able to track this and we had to be able to pay on all this to oversimplify. So by doing that, we also have to maybe have more complicated frameworks than other DSPs, um, more fine-tuned. And by doing that also, there is also the fine-tuned nature of saying we still have to have this really honestly beautiful aspect of the platform keeping it open and you know initially going back what is it five years or even longer that's a huge thing to this platform right that anybody can show up and do whatever they want to do and also make sure that they can they can hustle they can do whatever it is they want to you know put up their most recent track whatever it is or several tracks and kind of connect with other artists or connect with superstars on the platform that exists in the platform you could DM that, you know what I mean? Like it's keeping that open aspect of it, which is huge, um, that a lot of people have embraced and a lot of artists that are basically superstars now that have utilized the platform in that way to get that to is the- definitely, yeah, that's definitely the magic, right? You think about being able to just upload something, discover it, tag people, send it to other artists, mm-hmm. comments, share around, um, repost it. I mean, th- these things are very unique to SoundCloud. You, you can't find that in another DSP or another, uh, you know, another aggregator like that. And I think um, historically that's what has made creators come to SoundCloud year after year after year um, and upload their music because there's nobody telling them they can't, like you said, you just go do it. There's no hold up. If you're feeling creative at three in the morning, you just upload it to SoundCloud um, and you wake up the next morning and it's got 10,000 plays and you go, what happened? This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think that's a really magical component. So then you take all that special sauce, right? You take what we do from a rights perspective and an open source perspective um, as a platform. And then you realize as you're looking at the economics and you're looking at how all these things are working, once you get here, you start to, as you said, know how they all work. Then you can see the opportunity, right? Once you have, you know, you all the, all the bodies are buried, then you can start to understand, okay, I know how that works now, the mechanics. Now, what are the opportunities? So given all that, what, what was that next phase for you to go, okay, I've identified something we can do here. How do you get those wheels in motion? Yeah, so that was the big, big number two question. We know we have this direct relationship. At the time, it was only a couple of hundred artists. I think even, not even that long ago, I think it was the end of 2018, we were in the hundreds. So over that three or so years, it went from hundreds, almost, you know, about 800, 900 to 100,000. And that was kind of the first ramp up that had to happen for it to be sizable enough that when we do this, we have a sizable group that have this impact and actually feel the weight of this model's, you know, benefits. But the second question was, how do we do this for those that monetize with the platform directly, but at the same time preserve all the licenses and economics and business structure of everyone, all rights holders that we have these relationships in place, right? And all this is business, business essentially. And that's when I started thinking, okay, well, what if we basically run two calculators? And so what we ended up doing is that we run the, the world of today on one calculator, and then we run the world of tomorrow on another. And we do it in parallel. And what this does, without going too much into detail, but what this means is that we can have these 100,000 artists and growing live on this new model, and anyone else that decides to stay on the current day world operator of ProRata or whatever the license structure of today, they can stay that way, unaffected. Because before we dive into the, the kind of the nuts and bolts of how both work, and maybe this is a good kind of par- uh, good tangent into that, yeah, is that the pro rata model today or the proration model is by market share. And by having these two ways of doing it and it's running in parallel, it means that, you know, on my one hand, 
you still preserve all those market share calculations. Everyone's basically in line with how it has to happen today. But then these others, as of next week, as of April 1st, right. that 100,000 are going to start calculating on, on fan-powered royalties, which is, yeah. Well, that's the perfect lead-in. So if you could explain um, fan-powered royalties uh, for dummies in layman's <laughs> terms, and the elevator pitch and, um, you know, the simplest terms you can put it um, yeah. so that we can repurpose this and people can take that and understand it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to fish a price this as best as I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, so before even diving into that, I think the one banner statement to like really put out there is that what is the industry's measure of itself, the streaming music industry's measure of itself today? And it is volume of plays. And I think we all know that. I think we all do that in our daily lives as artists, musicians, songwriters, labels, aggregators. We all think in that way. But I want to emphasize we all think in that way. Like no matter how articulate our perspectives are, that's the anchor, right? We, we make every decision based on that now. And it's even more so a decision-making element than we did even a year or two years ago. And what I mean by that is the model of today. today under today's model, it's all about quantity. And you hear from you know, DSPs, industry, everyone basically saying quantity, quantity. How many plays are you getting? 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 What are your plays in relation to other plays? What are these tracks plays in relation to other plays? What are, how many followers do you have? You know, what is your measure in this quantity game? And the reason being to distill that, because everyone asks, why is everything so quantity driven, this volume of play? It's because the model of streaming music is driven by market share. So market share, meaning that you, Edge, and I say we're, you know, we're, we're throwing, we're artists, we're throwing our plays, our, our audience's plays, and there's a big pot in the United States, right? And then all the listeners are also throwing all their plays of other artists into this one big pot, along with their subscription revenue or the ad revenue that they incur. And it creates this big pot of just money and plays. And what ends up happening is that every month, and every territory is separated, every month that money, that pool of revenue is split amongst every single artist or rights holder or whoever owns that content, their share of that market full pool. So it's, it's not necessarily based, how... Based on, based on plays. Based on plays. Based on plays. So even though some, there might be, you know, rights holders, partners, artists, they have different deals, whatever it may be. There might be more, you know, you know, bells and whistles on things. But no matter what it is, it's always plays. It's always plays and percentages and prorata, proration of your market share of everything else. So what that means is musicians are competing amongst each other. You're competing amongst your peers, no matter the genre of music, no matter where you are, no matter what your audience's devotion is. So what does that mean under the model of today? The focus, and I've been using this term agnostic, is the agnostic play metric. And the reason I say agnostic is because we're talking about music which a normal business that uses market share, it might make sense because whatever the business model is of what they're dealing with. But we're talking about music, which is emotionally driven and connected. So how can you take out this, 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 this emotional engagement and throw it into a business model that's based on market share? And the reason I'm asking that is because if there's someone that is heavily engaged with an artist and they just listen to one artist all month, that devotion is diluted under a market share pro rata model because those are just plays under the quantity game being thrown into a big pool amongst a massive amount of plays. So, so let's reframe this um, so that I can understand it better and everybody listening can understand mm -hmm. it. The reality is there's only so much money to go around, right? For yeah. a company like Spotify, for instance, um, they have, I think we're around 150 million subscribers now, right? So there's a pool of money from that and the advertising that's going into now one big bucket. So you put all that money into one place. Mm -hmm. And now every play coming in from their 7 million artists, uh, we just saw that uh, stat last week, they have 7 million artists. All of that money from all the subscribers and all the advertising is now being split up between the 7 million artists based on who's getting the most amount of plays. So whoever's getting the most plays is getting the most money yeah. of that pool. And it's, it's very simply like 
like you said, everybody's competing. You keep yeah. simple to see now. Everybody's competing for that same pool of money. Um, so what you're saying is, is another way to look at it is rewarding the behavior of the listener as opposed to the quantity of the listener exactly. or the, the quality. The, it's, it's essentially moving away from this quantity and exactly, you're, you're already on it. Moving in the way the model of today, which is rewarding quantity. And quantity can be done by any means. And it, the different genres are listened to different, different ways. Different listeners have different time listener behaviors, right? But there could still be a huge amount of devotion from a fan, not even a listener, but a, from a fan that is completely lost under the model today because of what you just walked through, because of the fact that we're just, we're aggregating. And if you aggregate anything, you lose the, the detail of what you're aggregating there. And the connection, you're losing the connection of that fan to those artists that they listen to that they love, right? Or maybe like, like we said, simplifying it. There's this one artist I love. I've been listening to them. I pay 10 bucks every month. And this one month I've listened to only them. It doesn't matter in today's model because my $10 goes into this massive pot and there's other people that listen to more music than me, maybe whatever plays. And it just influences essentially other people, even as a listener dictate mm -hmm. to my 10 bucks. Right. Right. It was like the, the old model, right? The old model, not to say it, it, it worked. It clearly didn't work in today's new world, but the old model, when you were selling physical products, mm -hmm. um, if somebody went to the record store and they bought a CD, yeah. of their favorite artists. By the time the distributor took their cut, the store took their cut, the label took their cut and the, you know, it got down to it. The artist might walk away with a dollar 50, a dollar 80 of the 10 to $15, right? That's what the artist got after they recouped. Right. So, yeah. but think about that from one single fan, one single purchase, you get a dollar 80. Now, you know how hard it is to get a dollar 80 as an artist out of a streaming listener. They have to listen to your song 150 times or a hundred times or so, whatever it is, depending on where you're listening. But to generate that same revenue takes a, it's a lot more. And, and I think it brings up another point, which is uh, a good example. I should say is if you, if you like a band like Pink Floyd, mm -hmm. right, their songs are 20 minutes long. Some of them 15, 20 minutes long, eight minutes long yeah. as a diehard Pink Floyd fan, myself growing up, I would listen to them a few times a week, mm -hmm. but I, I couldn't listen to dark side of the moon, the album, a hundred times a day because there's not enough time in the day. But I'm a hardcore fan. I'm going to go buy a ticket when David Gilmore or Roger Waters comes through town. I'm buying merch. I'm getting the box sets when they come out. And that, that made sense as a fan. I didn't have to stream their song a thousand times a month to prove that I was a fan. Exactly. And so, well, you have artists today that they're getting paid for a stream, but their song is a minute and 27 seconds long, right? Yeah. And, and then another band has a nine minute long song. But yeah. they both get paid out the same, and it just doesn't it doesn't add up. And again, what your example is is totally totally viable in the sense of again quantity. It's not even everything that you just said about the the artist, the genre, the length of the music. It's lost. It's just lost in the process because it's just distilling it down to the play. And if I was Let's just say I'm an inhuman calculator. I'm like, okay, you listen to that for 20 minutes. That was one play. You listen to that for one and a half minutes. That's one play. They have the same weight. They have the same exact weight, no matter what the genre is under today and how people consume it. doesn't matter. And that doesn't even say how it relates to you as the individual listener. It just goes throw it in the pot. So there's a whole another calculation frame of what does that mean in relation to everything else? So it's, yeah, it's, and this is actually a really good segue to just take the Pink Floyd, right? Let's take that example. Yep. 20 minute enjoyment of that music, right? And you just, you're in the mood and you listen to that record or even that song or whatever it is and however many times in that week. Now, under fan powered royalties, we're moving away from this big aggregate pool and we're completely moving away from it because we're making every single listener their own. Share like basically that that model of today we're making every single so in that case we had that one big pool in the United States right everyone in their subscription revenue and plays go in there now we're segmenting every single listener in that territory to be their own bubble of what they do so if it's a ten dollar subscription you as the individual listener are responsible where that ten bucks goes because you listen to however much little moderate amount of music. It doesn't matter because you're in control 
of your individual attributable revenue, as opposed to the model of, of pro rata, mm. you're just being thrown into a pot. And mm. that's, that's the disconnect, right? So as it's just like a consumer basis, like it's a consumer right that most people don't even realize that you think maybe you're actually directly impacting because you listen to Pink Floyd and you just live that album for the entirety of the month. It's not the case. We're under fan-powered royalties, each individual attributable revenue, sub subscription fee or the ad revenue is controlled by the listener. So what the focus is, instead of that play, it's the engagement of the listener. So it's that play, but in relation to what that listener is doing. So in this case, you listen to only Pink Floyd, yep. you pay that $10 a month. That means the entire $10 goes into calculation just for Pink Floyd. Right. So it's the pro rata share of your behavior, not the pro rata share of the entire listener base in the world. Yes. That's the, that's, is that a simpler way of putting it? Like yep. you, you, you're, it's still a pool of money, but it's your pool of money. Exactly. It's your 10 bucks. You spend it how you want based on your behavior, mm -hmm. not based on everybody else's in the world and then dividing it up that way. Exactly. And by doing it that way on the back end, it's complicated to get it to work that way. And, you know, we're, and it made sense in the beginning of streaming to create this simplified pro rata model because it was kind of like, we don't know where this is going to go. We don't know how big this is going to be, but let's make it simple. It grew over the last 10 years to the point now that now it's just debilitating considering what we're talking about, right? Because yep. we're at the scale now that it, you know, it rewards a different kind of way of, of it doesn't, it doesn't reward devotion. It doesn't reward that, that, that what you said, that listener share, right? You now are paying attention. And in the future, I can see people getting so hung up in the right way that they're going to be careful what they listen to because they want to make sure that those artists they listen to most gets the most out of their 10 bucks or whatever it is that they, they, you know, they pay. Mm. And that's mm. another tangent. But. That is, it is. Well, you know, a staggering stat from that same um, Spotify press release last week was there's 7 million artists on the platform and they're putting out roughly 70,000 songs a day. Right. Um, and they came back and shared that just over 13,000 artists worldwide of the 7 million make over $50,000 a year in streaming revenue from their platform. You can't fill the Staples Center with 13,000 people. Right? And that's, that's a scary thought. And then I extracted a little bit further, extrapolate a little further. It was uh, a thousand people uh, of those 7 million that made seven figures or more this year from their streaming revenue on Spotify. A thousand right? That's, that's 0.001% of the 7 million people that became millionaires this year from streaming income, a mm thousand -hmm. people. Um, that, that doesn't seem to me like it's rewarding the right behaviors for these artists. They, they clearly, if you go look at some of the numbers from on our platform and others, there are hardcore diehard fan bases listening to hundreds of thousands of artists, yeah. not just a thousand. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they can't pay their bills or pay their light bill or put gas in their car. They see it as a side hustle income. Um, I think is pretty eye opening. I think we have to consider like, why is somebody who's got that many fans and that many listens coming in, seeing that income as a very small side hustle, as opposed to a main source of income. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, it just didn't, it didn't make sense. It's, it's almost a question of how do I, as an artist, and even taking it back to, let's just say there's a superstar and going all the way down to bedroom and just starting out. How does that even work in this world of today? Like, how do you go from that zero stage, not even thinking of going to like, you know, zero, one, two, and then this, let's just say a hundred is like stratosphere superstar. Yeah. And those numbers that you mentioned, like up here, how do I even get from zero to one? let alone even 10, let alone even like start scaling this mountain the way it's devised that it is literally almost impossible to get to that echelon with the way it's built and the way it works and the way to be even financially stable to live off of your streaming royalties because it's about massive scale and audiences have to be big and currently the way the business has built itself is on passive listenership. So... That also means it doesn't matter where that quantity comes from. We just need that quantity in terms of making money. Mm. That's not respecting necessarily music that is much more niche, much more independent. Maybe, you know, the EDM fan just listens to EDM all day and every day. 
as they right. should, because that's that's they're a fan. But under that stratosphere that I just mentioned, how do you, as an EDM artist fan genre, how do you live in that space when you're competing against all peers in this model, as opposed to those fans? Maybe the scaling of the audience is smaller, but the devotion is extremely high. That's what fan powered royalties is about. Is about it's essentially leveraging and level setting the foundation that even if you have a smaller audience, but they're highly devoted and listen to you and active, you will make a much higher royalty payout than the way you do ter- currently today. Absolutely. And it's- well, that, that, that brings me to my question about examples, right? Because you've run a, a few case studies mm-hmm. and we can, or you can see how this is starting to work. So could you give a couple examples of, yeah. of, of how it actually works on the economic side and what the lift is? Sure, yeah, yeah. So um, for those listening, if you go to fanpoweredroyalties.com, we have a few examples up there of, of artists that are monetizing directly and that have benefited under the model um, and agreed to share their information, which, again, we're really thankful for them to, to be willing to share this because it's, it's private. And one of them is Vincent. He's um, on, under one of the programs. And his general payout, and this was from a few months ago, his payout under the current model globally at his audience size was $120 in that given month. And with today's royalties and at that level of his audience, which is, is pretty significant in the sense of a developing artist at his level and his, his, his statue, 120 is unfortunately, I'll say, pretty good for, for record, recorded music royalties at his, at his uh, audience level. By simply enacting fan-powered royalties, basically everything is the same, but we change the economic model to fan-powered royalties, which most know as user-centric. It goes up 403% to uh, essentially what was $599, $599. So let's round, wow. it, let's round it to 600 Now, this is the crazy thing. Nothing changes. The audience doesn't know this happens, and the artist doesn't know it happens because the behavior is still the same. Everyone's using and communicating, connecting with the artist. He's still reaching out to them and vice versa, and they have their communal relationship, right? By just turning on the model in the background, changing the economics, 403% to 600 bucks, recorded music, not even talking about publishing, from one platform. And that's not even, we're not even in live music yet, right? We're not even back. He can't really go back to doing his live music uh, side of his, 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 his music career, right? So that, that's, that's game changing. That's, that's very meaningful, right? Be- because um, as an independent musician today, it's really about being your own business. It's about running your own company, right? Especially if you're, you're not signed to a label, you're reinvesting in yourself constantly. So really this is, to me, I see that as acceleration capital. When you're making $120 a month, it's very hard to reinvest that back into your art and back into yourself. But if all of a sudden you made 600 each month, mm-hmm. you can see a meaningful reinvestment uh, into your own career. You can now maybe potentially make a, a lyric video with that. You could outsource that to go get some studio time. Or in general, you could free up some time by quitting your day job. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, focusing on your music. So I, I think what this enables people to do is grow their career quicker. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're bootstrapping everything, uh, things take that much longer to get there. That's why everybody wanted to be signed to a label. Mm-hmm. Right? The whole idea was the label has the money. Once I have the money and I have the promotions, I can go be a star. Mm-hmm. But if you can use uh, FPR as acceleration capital to grow your own business, um, you don't really have to wait on people as much. And you don't have to be reliant. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's the, um, and I, that's a really good way of terming it too, the acceleration capital, right? Because it's the past 10, 12 years, the technological innovation and the product and the way we stream music has, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's accelerated to the point that we all can't deny the success of the product and how we use it and how we live with it. Um, but the economics never met that advancement, never did. And this is the way to level set that to exactly what you said, that someone can take control of that. An artist like Vincent, who can have an understanding that, wow, this not only does this lift me by a 403%, the other thing is that this happens and his fans don't know yet. And Vincent still has to have, he still has the ability to reach out 
because of SoundCloud and what you mentioned earlier, the ability to, to con- connect and contact and DM. And, t- and tell them about it. Yeah, to be, as- to be as- to find who are those fans, the fans, not even the listeners, the fans that drove that, reach out to them and be like, thank you. Like, thank you so much. You are pivotal, pivotal with what happened to me in this last month. Mm. And connecting in that way to further that even more because – that's just that that uplift of four hundred three percent is without either side knowing that this just happened, right? And this mm-hmm. is this is only going to start happening, come you know in a couple of months because this, the switch turns on April first, the first accounting and, and, and statements and royalties go out the door starting in June. So yep. that's the, that's going to be the first time everyone starts communicating with each other and saying, "Thank you," you know what I mean? Like you, group or whoever or this one listener was this person that I could see that listened to me all month and basically gave me the 10 bucks, you know, calculating against my, my provisions and everything. And I just, I want to reach out and thank you. And then right, because yeah. Yeah. These diehard fans, you know, they're like, don't tempt me with a good time. You know, you're like, you're, you're telling me I can help you continue to be an artist by just listening the way I'm already listening. Okay. I'm rewarding you even more. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's also the reason so many of these platforms like Community and Discord and Patreon, why they've grown so much in the past few years. Like there's such a, uh, a need for this because that direct relationship with the diehard fans, not the quantity fans or not the pool, is, is everybody realizes like that's where it's at. Right. So people are taking things off platform to have a direct relationship. But what I love about this is it does both. Yeah. It achieves both at the same time. It's, it's almost like thinking of this as a bedrock. Right. Like we we're at a stage post COVID. No one can argue with this. It's needed. Um, You know, it's been two and a half years of developing this. And, you know, with COVID, it was kind of like we had to get this out as soon as possible. And if anything, I apologize. We couldn't do this earlier, but we did it. This is the fastest over two and a half years as we possibly could. (laughs) But it's, it's think of it as that bedrock, like you just said, that this is building all of the other things on top of it. And your fans can listen to however they wish. They don't have to change the way they listen to today. It's just that those that are devoted will be contributing to a higher way, a higher means, and those that are less devoted will be contributing less, and those in the middle are going to be contributing more than they do today even. So it's yep. it's that portfolio of support that's going to come into play. And one other thing that as we were talking, I was thinking about that's really helpful to contextualize for artists is like thinking of your new release, thinking of your new record that you're putting out. You know, it takes months, weeks, years to, to put together. You release it on streaming. And if you go back to what I was saying earlier, this pro rata, everything's in a pool, right? And you're competing against your peers. That pivotal moment of a release, which is incredibly personal, personal as an artist, and you're putting your everything into that, you're competing against all the other new releases and all the other things that are happening and all the other listenership that's happening at the same time. That's also killing your momentum. That's also killing and diluting the power of that engagement that you've you've pulled out of your biggest fans and it's still going to be playing against all the other people and plays that are out there with fan powered royalties, those engaged fans. And this is the part I really want to kind of emphasize is they'll come back to you and they're like, Oh wow, this is great. I haven't heard from this artist in a while. They come to your new release. They connect with it. They engage, they listen with it for the most part in the month. If not, maybe let's just say almost the entirety of the month, but more importantly, for those that have more albums, releases, repertoire, those people always re-engage with your oldest stuff. And now we're talking someone being with you and because they connect with you, because they love your music and they loved your music you know, from before that they just needed to be kicked, kicked a little bit to remember, oh, wow, wow, I love that that artist. I forgot about them or I haven't listened to them enough. For the next couple of months, you could be making the, the, the lion's share of those subscribers' revenues. and that And that's a tangible way of showing how this works, where it's a hybrid of that example of what you said in the past, right? You buy the CD, you get that nice big lump, you know, $2 and that one exchange. And then the way of today, you could perpetually be paid for streaming, which is amazing for the life of you owning that copyright. You always make money, but it's really small. So fan royalties, if you think about it, it's in between those two. It's in between the two. Yep. Yeah. You will yep. always make money off of it. And it's the ebb and flow is not the how people play you. In relation to everyone else, the ebb and flow is how people engage with you. Just yes. You. Yes. And that, that blend of those two worlds is where it has to go, yeah. in my opinion. And, and I think this is a, a great solution to that. So uh, I wanted to address a couple of misnomers. Um, yeah. I know upon uh, 
you know, the announcement a, a few weeks ago, um, there were a couple of articles I think might have gotten some information wrong around how SoundCloud takes its share and how we share in FPR and what the back end of those royalties look like. I mean, do you do you want to uh, speak to that specifically about how it's actually set up yeah, so yeah. that people understand? Yeah, and I think the great question, by the way, Edge. Yeah, thank you. Because uh, I think yeah. this is this is the the power statement. Even before going into what the shares are, you would be making your royalties directly from a major DSP in 30 or so days directly from the last stream that someone streamed of you, number one. So that means that you get that money incredibly quickly going through these, one of these direct monetization programs. Mm-hmm. Number two, this is fan-powered royalties is only for the recorded music side. It's not publishing, right? So that means also the, the current deals in place, you're making 55% of whatever that attributable individual person's revenue is, the, you know, the subscription fee or the ad revenue they incur, right? So that's 50- on, the, on the master side. On the, on master, the master side, exactly. And that's, that's the industry competitive. I mean, that's, that's up there. And you're making that directly from a major DSP. <laughs> and on top of that, uh, we still pay the publishing. So you as an artist, and this, this is a banner statement to everyone, make sure you register all of your publishing information. You, we still pay you on top of that for your publishing across all markets, wherever it is that you're being played. So essentially, after we, we pay the fan-powered royalties piece, which is 55%, and then we pay the publishing piece, which ranges from territories differently, which almost basically stacks to about 20%, if not more, depending on territories, whatever is left stays with SoundCloud. So the industry standard that floats around is about 70 goes out to the industry, 30 stays with the platform. We're closer to that 75, 25, if that even. And the thing I want to really call out is that this fan-powered royalties initiative too is we're going to be paying out more money because the way it works. And so that's the other thing is that 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 misnomer that kind of floated around, someone ended up missing the whole publishing piece, number one. And it's not like we take cuts. It's whatever is left because we pay out to the industry and whatever margin remains, remains. It's not like a, you know, an admin fee. Exactly. So yeah, it's, it's definitely in, in, in terms of competitive rates, it's up there. Also it's not on the quantity game. It's on the quality game and engagement, which is a completely set different set of economics. Um, and also the other thing that no one's really highlighted is you're making this directly off a platform, you know, in, in 30 plus days, as opposed to waiting 90 plus days through other, other aggregators. Through other aggregators. Yeah. So uh, how do you as an artist uh, access uh, the program? How do you get FPR? How do you make sure it's turned on um, for you starting April 1st from our side? But, you know, how do you, how do you access it? There's three ways of doing it. And depending on the type of artist you are, right? So if you're a type of artist that you want to live on SoundCloud and you want huge amount of storage because you do huge long-form content, I would recommend in that sense to go through the SoundCloud Premiere program because it's part of the ProU subscription. But regardless, that would also, because you get the ProU subscription to get that storage, you can sign up either through the Premiere program, either the repost by SoundCloud program, and that also being under a ProU monetization program, you can also distribute out to all the platforms. So that's one way of doing it. And then the other way is simply just going directly to repost by SoundCloud. And that's the annual fee. You pay 30 bucks for an entire year. And that gives you the ability to monetize on the platform and to monetize off platform. And then there's the third, which is repost select. And of course, Edge, you know about this much better than I do, um, which is you know, the next stage in your career. It's basically an invitation program to have that push. And what you mentioned about the label side of it and all those other services, which is that services program and creator services to help anyone that's actually grown in that direction. So it's, there's three ways of doing it, three lanes. Um, the first two are the ways in. And depending on the type of artist, you know, different things work for different artists and different medium and like the size of, you know, what music we're talking about and length and all that. But, uh, yeah. but that's really the way to go about it. And that's, that's, that's really it. And you could make directly from the platform. No, I love it. I think that answers the question. So um, that leads me to 
I think probably my last question, which is where is this headed now for the industry and what other platforms do you think are going to try and follow suit? And can they? Um, interesting and have no idea in terms of what the other platforms will adopt and you know what this does for, for others. I do believe that it's, it's an interesting conversation for the industry to have because the other platforms have to have the ability to do so. And going back to the beginning of our conversation here is SoundCloud has that relationship and we have that ability to directly license your content and let you monetize directly on the platform. Um, obviously not exclusively, um, unlike maybe some rights holders, mm-hmm. some other instances, if you want to go into something, you know, more deeper rooted and you want to have that funding and the financial backing and in advance, there is the opportunity to do that on that last third option, which was the repo select option. Right. Yep. So there is, it's like a choose your own adventure. Um, and I think the reason I wanted to mention that again is because the other platforms and what they're doing, they're very different businesses. Um, they're just very different businesses and how, I think I'd I'd like to end on what we always talk about is SoundCloud DNA and the DNA and anyone who's deep into the user centric studies and anyone that thinks, you know, they hear and they read up on all these um, studies and what came out from Deloitte in France and these other, you know, years and years of studies. If every single DSP had the exact same user centric model and we shared it and we all had the same thing, we will still come to different different calculations, different royalties for artists because the DNA of each platform is very different. And the big thing to call out SoundCloud, and we pride ourselves on this, but also this was part of the beginning architecture, looking at a user-centric model before even building fan-powered royalties. The one thing that we needed outside of you know the direct relationship and licenses, the audience, that DNA has to be active, engaged, and lean. And if you don't have that, it won't benefit as many people and as many musicians and artists, it won't trickle through and nurture that whole ecosystem. So the DNA of SoundCloud, we are younger, we are active, lean in, and most importantly engaged. And that drives this model to a degree that when I look at these studies, we have completely different results because it's not a bell curve. It's not a head benefit and a tail benefit. It's not a small group in that 100,000 that I mentioned of artists that are participating in this, and we, we've been studying this for months and months and months, using a territory like the UK and, and, um, and France, quarter, a quarter of that whole cohort, 100,000 people, that whole group makes a quarter more royalties. It's not even, wow. it's not even reattributing the money amongst them. There is a quarter more money being made that then has to be reattributed amongst them. So that is, again, the testament to the DNA of SoundCloud, its audience, which obviously no music, no audience, and no audience, no music, and no platform. And then that last aspect is this wave that we architected in a way to let this whole thing just live. And it won't live by any means. We could build the craziest possible, most eloquent, beautiful economic model. It won't work unless the artists and and the fans are engaging and working with each other and supporting each other. That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. And I want to add to that, that that this is absolutely genre agnostic. This is not about a certain genre of music's listener behaviors. If you, an artist of any walk of life from any country, it does not matter. If you have an engaged audience, this works for you. This is not about any subset or substrata of, of anything. It is simply, you have an engaged audience, you have hardcore fans, this will work. And even if it's just one, that one's going to grow into two and into three. So I want people to understand that again, you know, this program works for everybody. This is not, this is not simply something that you would think is centric to, to a specific genre. And that's a really good point too, to even just drive that home even more from superstar all the way to bedroom. It's not even the type of artist. It, the thing is that devotion that has to be devoted fans in their audience that drive it. And it's, it's not genre, you know, centric and even that, even the types of artists, because, you know, you, you, you could look at, you know, some bigger artists and you could look at the two of them and, you know, fans of one artist and there may be a similar level of success. One has rabid fan base and then the other one has a huge fan base, but not as devoted and engaged. And you will see the difference under something like fan power royalty between the two. So it's, it's, it's almost the simplifying it and saying, do your art, 
don't worry about the quantity element of it. Don't care about the long length of the song. Don't front load your songs. Don't try to make your song shorter. Just do your art and focus on those fans. And it's almost as simple as that because the economics, all the other stuff that we're doing is to give you the runway to do that. And you don't have to think about that question of how many, I got this many plays. What does that mean in relation to everything else? Because that's the blind spot. That's the transparency issue is that even if we as a platform, any platform tells you how many plays and what you're doing in a territory, you still can't figure that out because it's against everything else that you can't see. That's right. So, yeah. So Fantastic Royalties is basically saying you will be you will be making money on your fans directly of those that listen to you, and you will see who are the ones that are giving you, making you the most support and money, and you could just focus in on them and build your career. Yep, that's right. Get out of the mindset of trying to game the system and thinking about quantity only. Get into the mindset of making the best art possible. Yeah that meets your measure and that the fans are engaging with and you will make more money. Exactly. And that's plain and simple. Plain and simple. And I know it sounds almost as trite as it possibly could without saying an expletive, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's ultimately to take it to that point that it's like, just do what you got to do and don't worry about it from that quantity. Just do the quality. Just make that music be what it's supposed yep. to be. Yeah. Man, well, this has been really educational for me and I'm sure everybody else listening um, can you remind everybody again where they can learn more about this and, and go check it out? Exactly. Yeah. So it's fanpoweredroyalties.com and you could just hit up that site. You'll see all the uh, stuff that we talked about, even some of the examples and, and some of the artists, you can see the examples of how they benefit. And there's a link there to take you to the direct monetization programs for SoundCloud. Um, yeah, all the info should be there. There's also an FAQ there for everything that we talked about and then some, but that should be the home for any other questions. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Mike, thanks again. Uh, you're a wizard of sorts. <laughs> I wish. I wish. No, but yeah. thank you so much, man. Now, this is, you know, it's it's one big gnarly baby step in the right direction. <laughs> hey, you know what? The industry was dying for it, and I'm proud to be um, part of the uh, the first step. So Awesome. Thank you yeah. So much, man. Thanks, dude. Speak soon. All right, man.